The Maluka family still reeling from shock after the gruesome killing of the two family members. Family member Pindile Maluka says her mother and elder sister were about to leave for an Easter church convention when her sister's husband arrived at their home. She says her brother-in-law demanded to see his wife, Busi Siwe. She adds that when the wife appeared, an argument broke out in the presence of their mother. Pindile says the suspect allegedly threw a firearm and shot both her sister and mother several times. Pindile says she then ran to a neighbor's house. He shot my mother first and also shot my sister and then pointed the gun at me saying, come here. And I ran to the neighbor's house and called the police. The family is now living in fear of the suspect, who they claim has already threatened to kill them. Another family member, Yvonne Monareng, accused the police of failing to do their job. We last saw the police on Thursday after the incident. We are in the dark now. We don't know what is happening. We are not safe. We are living in fear because he calls some family members and threatens to kill them. Police say before the shooting, another complainant had opened a case of pointing a firearm against the suspect. Police spokesperson Mjoli Pembe says they managed to recover a firearm that was allegedly used. We are investigating two cases of murder, the mother and the daughter. The, there is also a third case which was opened earlier on, pointing of a firearm of which the complainant is believed to be in hiding, fearing for his life. We are looking for the suspect. We have, however, been able to recover the firearm that is suspected to have been used, but uh, the whereabouts of the, the person himself is unknown currently. We are looking for him. Three people, including the one who opened a case of pointing a firearm and a local ward councillor, are in hiding. They allege that the suspect has also threatened to kill them. Police have called on the public to assist with information that might lead to the arrest of the suspect. I'm Eric Lobisi, Etika Pogweni. Meanwhile, experts say addressing gender-based violence and the culture of rape in the country has become a national priority. Karen Pile is an independent development practitioner who focuses on the rights of women and children. She has worked extensively in communities battling gender-based violence, and she now joins us on the line. Good morning to you, and thank you for joining us. Good morning, and thank you very much for having me. Firstly, are women and girls under siege in the country, or is this being alarmist? No, definitely not being alarmist. I think women and and girls are under siege. We have to realize that there is a crisis facing our women in South Africa. Remember, we South Africa is one of the as one of the highest rates of violent crimes against women. It's a country that that is so unsafe for women. And what is behind this crisis, as you call it? I think that we, um, in, if you look at um, our, our laws, we've got wonderful um, laws, but in terms and, and protecting um, regulations against women, against women and women's rights. Unfortunately, when it comes to implementation, we are sadly lacking in it. 
What is the main cause that uh, we're not implementing those good laws and those regulations? Look, when it comes to, you know, um, ensuring that there's financial support, that there's, um, you know, we're dealing with patriarchy, in, uh, we're dealing with ensuring that children are sens- gender-sensitized from a young age, none of that is happening to the level it should have happened. What is the ideal level where it should be taking place? It should be a priority at at government level. I think um, if you look at it, um, let's be very um, frank here. If you look at government level, women uh, women's rights have not become a priority. It, it this, the focus has shifted totally. So that left women very vulnerable. Who protects a woman? Um, when we look at our judiciary system, the laws are there, but we are not taking swift enough action against perpetrators. Um, the, the environment, if you look at um, police stations, you look at the enabling environment for women, there isn't that enabling environment um, to ensure that women come through, they, they're able to access services, they're able to report cases. Um, none of that happens to the level and the extent to which we want it to happen. I'll give you an example. I went to a police station about a week ago to lay um, to um, assist somebody to lay uh, open a case. It, I think we went through so much of questioning, and, and it came from the male counterpart. There was so much of questioning before we could even open the case that I literally had to use my expertise to force them to open the case. I had to talk about gender-based violence. I had to talk about the statistics of uh, gender-based violence in South Africa. And should this person become a statistic in our country, how liable are they before they even sent me to a charge officer with the person? And what was the response from uh, the officials then when uh, you explained all of that to them? You could see that it was, it kind of went over their heads. And because then when I brought all of this up, it was like, oh God, you know, we're going to be in trouble. So then they just said, okay, right, go to the charge officer. The, the sad part of it, the sad reality is the charge officer was a female. And she then questioned us doubly, you know, like, I need you to, um, uh, one of the things she asked is, I need you to ex- um, to, to see how this case relates, uh, relates to the five uh, points of crime. So we said, list the five elements of crime. And when she listed one, she didn't even go past two, and I said, hang on a sec. It fits into one, it fits into two. Do you want me to, do you want to go on? And she said, then she opened the case. So can you imagine a person coming in, um, being affected by domestic violence or, or gender-based violence, coming into a police station, trying to open a case, being so secondary victimized, so traumatized, they go home, they leave because they have no clue as to the processes. Then you go a step further and you look at them going into the judiciary system. They go through to prosecutors. They have to explain their cases. It's almost as if they need to prove themselves. They need to prove that they were violated. 
And if they don't know the laws and regulations of our country, some of the, you, you, you know, most of the women, um, they are not aware of their rights. And if they don't know that and they come through to the system, they are really battling. They, then you have the victim coming to them and pleading and saying, I'm so sorry, you know, I went um, um, off the rails. Can you forgive me? That cycle of violence continues and they come back and they withdraw the case. So nothing happens until they become a statistic in a body bag. Now, we know that uh, this kind of violence uh, perpetrated against the Maluka family is not an isolated incident. Why is this kind of violence uh, so pervasive in South Africa? And have we identified what the driving factors are? Okay, so, so violence of this type against women is definitely because women are soft targets. Where do you take your rage and, and whatever you, where do males take their rage, whatever that is affecting them? They come home. It's, it's, you can see it manifest at home, in the family, in the community. So this is an ongoing thing and we've not addressed that. I think patriarchy is a huge driver. Um, patriarchy, um, lack of um, support for victims uh, or survivors. I think it's our, you know, lack of resources to effectively deal with this. Um, if you look at um, the financial support in handling cases, and I, you know, one of the things for me that surprises me is during holiday time, during um, periods we open up roadside courts. When I was working in, in rural communities implementing domestic violence programs, we saw that, um, you know, they, they have traditional courts. We, we, I even went through to police stations to take, to look at youth in conflict with the law and to say, give them second chances. But when it comes to women, where's all of that? No, nowhere. You find that we don't have um, a specific um, process where women can go through, they can deal with their crimes steadily, they can report it. And, you know, you, you see it coming through to trial and you see the perpetrator facing the consequences of their actions. So, so for me, that's what, um, you know, is surprising. And also we need to find um, our women themselves um, are so afraid and, and they want to keep that, um, that patriarchal values they were brought up with where the man is the law, the man is the provider, and, and they keep it. You know, no, we can't upset the man in the family or in the communities. There's that protectionist attitude towards perpetrators that we need to get rid of. We have a zero tolerance towards alcohol. We have a zero tolerance towards road carnage. We got no zero tolerance against violence against women. And we have... International Women's Day, we have 16 days of activism. These are becoming lip services. The, you know, we, we pay lip services to these. And there is, we, we're not effectively implementing these campaigns. We're not making sure that whatever regulations happen, it sticks. And if you think about it, um, men, men are the creators of the legal systems, of the laws. Um, it, it, it is patriarchal-based. 
Now, Where's the voices of women? Now, Karen, what kind of interventions should we be looking at? And are we also not uh, commenting on this and generalizing on uh, men because uh, we know that there are good men out there? Absolutely. There are very good men out there. And I would not say that it, it's got to be a wondrous situation where we actually only target the support for girls. Because men are being, there are men that are being abused as well. There's good men that take care of women. What I'm effectively saying is we need to have a cohesive movement. You know, um, I remember not so long ago, you know, um, when there was a campaign against men, against um, violence and against men, there were men that stood up and said, not on my watch. We need more of those men to come forward. We need uh, people, you know, when you see what happened in this community in Mpumalango, you, you need the men of that community to stand up and say, we are not tolerating um, this violence in our community. We protect our women. We will support them. And yes, the perpetrator will fi- face the might of the law. Karen, unfortunately, we have to leave it there. Karen Pile is an independent development practitioner who focuses on the rights of women and children. Thank you for your time.